You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today I have a special guest, Paul Woody of the Richmond Times-Dispatch, who covered the Redskins for 40 years as a beat reporter and as a columnist. When I was a young reporter on the beat, he was gracious with his wisdom and I learned a lot from his approach, so I wanted to share this conversation with you. Also, I'm going to share a couple thoughts of my own on Niles Paul and Bill Callahan and answer a couple leftover mailbag questions from last week about Brandon Sheriff and the draft. But first, my conversation with Paul Woody. Now I have a very special guest, Paul Woody from the Richmond Times-Dispatch, a guy I've looked up to for many, many years covering this team. The first year I covered this team, Paul Woody was a spry, what, about 25 years old then or something like that, Paul? But it was much younger. Much much younger. younger. But one of the guys that has meant a great deal to me because right away he took me up. He took it upon himself to help a young guy in this business. Um, Jim Ducebella, the same way. Others did the same, but Paul was always there. Paul is retiring from the Richmond Times Dispatch at the end of the, at the end of December and covered the Redskins for 40 years. Oh, yeah. 40 years, beat reporter, columnist. And so we're, we're recording this before the last game, home game here. What's the, what are the emotions like for you? Um, surprisingly mellow. It was interesting last night. My wife and I were talking, and she said, tomorrow's your last Redskins game. I said, yeah. She said, I'm having a hard time with that. (laughs) She didn't like the Redskins. She didn't like it that I was always gone. She didn't like training that I was gone for training camp. She said, the Redskins have been a big part of our lives, good and bad, mostly bad, but (laughs) a big part of our lives. And I said, well, surprisingly, I don't have that emotion. Maybe I will tomorrow, but uh, it's been a long ride. I've seen... I've seen great teams, and I've seen terrible teams, and this this year's team is one of the worst I've seen. It is. And uh, it, I came in, I began marginally covering the team in Jack Pardee's last year. I think they were six and ten. Mm-hmm. Joe Gibbs comes in, they're eight and eight, and then you know Gibbs, one of the great coaches in history. I'm I'm, I'm I've been lucky to have seen some great coaches, Gibbs, Parcells, uh, Bill Walsh, um, guys who just knew, pardon? The heyday. Yeah, guys who knew what they were doing. Uh, with, with Joe, what, what, do you, when, what do you remember thinking about Joe when he first came in, and then what, was your, what is your impression as you look back on him? Well, he had, he just had a great attention to detail, and he was, always concerned with having the right quarterback and the right offensive line around that quarterback and I watched him work over the years 
always they're always searching to build that offensive line, <laughs> and he always wanted a quarterback who could throw it the length of the field. He didn't, you know, they didn't throw it the length that many deep <laughs> patterns, but he wanted a guy who could do it so they could break games open when they needed to. Uh, he also seemed to me strike me as someone who was always kind of paranoid in a good way. <laughs> he was. I think he said one time, I'm a coach. There's catastrophe around every corner. And that's the way he approached the job. And the thing about him that not every coach I've seen has was that his he was certain that his job security was winning and losing, you know. But his, to keep his job, he always felt like he had to win. And this was even even well into his career when he, he was winning Super Bowls. But, you know, I, I remember talking to him one time, uh, not just me, but it was one of those group things, and, and the team was off to a slow start, and I, I might have said something about, but don't you feel like you have some security? And he said, well, what I've done might get you a year or two limping, but that's not what I want. That's not what we want here, and we want to win. Um, that was the thing about him, and uh, he had excellent assistance. He let them coach. And they got good players. Now that was also pre-unrestricted free agency. Yes, right. um, they didn't have. There were some guys they would have lost if they had to pay them. Certainly, the cap. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he, he kept his. And when, once he got his offensive line built, he kept it intact. Uh, just you know, fitting in a piece here and there when a guy would retire sure. or whatever. But, but they also were very sharp. I'm sure they would have figured some things out. Well, he, and when he came back, uh, it wasn't a great run. They were. 30 and 34 in four yes. years, but they made the playoffs twice, twice. and... And he took, he inherited a mess. Pretty big mess, and he it took him a year to straighten it out, uh, and again, he was always searching for the right quarterback and the right lineman, and yeah. the game had changed because there was so much emphasis on getting to the quarterback, and it, it took was him he, a season to adjust to that. He wasn't different the first year or two because he was still calling plays and he was still running the offense. Uh, he then gradually sort of gave up some of that responsibility and didn't call the plays, which was not Joe Gibbs. Uh, not the way he had done things earlier. But I think, you know, we all age and he just felt like it was better to, to hand some of that some responsibility off. Is it, hard, is it weird to see what's going on now given where it was when you started? It's very strange. It's strange for a lot of reasons. It's strange to see, have seen so many bad decisions made in so many different areas. And it's also strange uh, it's, uh, to have watched this particular team, even when they had sort of, were on the right path, they hit a bad spot. Like Alex Smith has that right. devastating injury. Right. That's, that's just a huge factor in, in this this season. Jordan Reed plays one preseason game, takes a hit to the head, and he's out for the year. And that's, you know, that's a tight, he's one of the best tight ends in the league. Trent Williams has this dispute with the team and doesn't play. So you've lost your starting quarterback, one of your best receiver, and your best offensive lineman. And it just all falls apart. As an organization, what's the difference now? Jack Kent Cook was very demanding. But he was hands-off for the most part. I think Richie Pettibone might disagree with that because I think there were some instructions he was given. But once Gibbs established himself and, and Bobby Beathard established themselves, he let them do what they thought they had to do, to, what they needed to do to win. Now, he had accountability. 
he if he was going to spend his money, he wanted to win. Sure. And he was good at getting letting them get the right people in. But now it's just it's been such a revolving door of coaches. I was thinking last night or one day this week, which is why I probably need to retire because <laughs> I need to get a life. But you know, for the first twelve years. I covered the team. The first 13 years I covered the team, it was Pardee for one season, Gibbs for 12. And look at what it's been since then. Pettibone, Norv Turner, uh, Schottenheimer, uh, Spurrier, Zorn, Gibbs, Shanahan, and Gruden. That's, that's like eight coaches. And, and, and you can't have any continuity and you can't have a lot of success when you're constantly changing things, when you're constantly you churn the roster every year to a certain degree, but the churn that they've had is too much. And it's also churning styles too. Yeah. So when you, that's why going from Spurrier to Gibbs is a big jump in different styles. You were looking for different players. You see they fit in a different scheme, etc. And it just, it's a hard hole to dig out of once you start going down there. Yeah, it is. And let me, before I forget, let me say this. Johnny, I've always called you Johnny, but you came in and you were so enthusiastic and you had a really good knowledge of football and it was just a pleasure being around you. And I don't know that we gave you any guidance or we just... We, I it followed example. It was a very collegial it was. Uh, group of people. It, it was you know, Jim DiCibella, Vito Stellino, yeah. me, you, Rick. and we had Rick Snyder, Dave, yeah, yeah. Dave Alphen, and it was... There was, uh, it was a certain family feel to it. I mean, sometimes, sometimes we were spending more time with each other than we were with our actual Especially fans. when you're up to training camp for yeah. as long as we were at that time. Yeah, training camp and then you're at all the road games. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it was just so relaxing to go out and have a nice dinner and just enjoy each other's company. Nice walk over the Golden Gate Bridge, <laughs> get turned away from fine <laughs> restaurants because of our we appearance. We did that. Well, <laughs> we, we look we a little damp we in, in the that. fog. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, those, those were good times and those are good memories. They are good memories. So, um, what players have stood out to you that over the years that you've dealt with? Well, when I came in, they, uh, you know, Gibbs, they just redid the roster and they brought in, they, they got Russ Grimm in the third round uh, and Russ Grimm is in the Hall of Fame as an offensive lineman. They got Joe Jacoby as a free agent, the guy that Gibbs thought was a defensive right. lineman and then when he found he was an offensive lineman, he wanted to cut him, but he didn't. And Jacoby probably arguably should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't know how you feel about that. I, I have thought he should be. Yeah, he, he was really an extraordinarily talented guy who could play any offensive line position. He just, his career was shorter than most because he had the back injury and everything. Mm -hmm. um, then, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. Daryl Green, as a rookie, running down Tony Dorsett yeah. in that Cowboys-Redskins opening game of whatever season it was. And there was probably only one person in the NFL who could have caught Dorsett, and that was Daryl Green, and I was there for that game, so yeah. that was that was great to see. Um, and there's Art Monk was a, was a Hall of Fame player. I saw a lot of Hall of Fame players. I saw Riggins with the uh, Super Bowl run that, yeah. that that won that game for them. Um, a lot of really excellent players. And one thing though that after they had their Super Bowl runs, then it, they were in the playoffs, and then they weren't in the playoffs, and, but they were always good. Right. Watching Gibbs and Bethard and Charlie Casserly 
piece together the team that was going to get back to the Super Bowl was really intriguing to right. watch. I remember we did a conference call with Bilicek when he was, Bill Bilicek, he, he was with Cleveland, and he we, got ready to play the Redskins, and he said he had really admired watching Joe Gibbs put that team together. And I thought, yeah, that's what he's done. It, it's it's because this was before unrestricted free agency, right. and you had to do it piece by piece. And Gibbs and Beathard and Cashley assembled the pieces to get back to the Super Bowl, which, which they, is not they easy. Did. To no, do. it's not. And it's uh, it wasn't easy then. It's not easy now. But they've that was what they wanted to do here. That was, and they knew how to do it, and they did it. And since then, there's just been this. I think I think Dan Snyder wants to have a Super Bowl team. It's just the whole process has, has really been difficult to master. I think it's also sometimes I think it seems like from afar they were able to to make tough decisions back then. Mm -hmm. Even though you had the same people in charge there with players and all that, they seemed like they could make hard decisions when they needed to. But they also had smart football people in place. They did, and it wasn't easy to let John Riggins go. But when he wasn't up to what he was, they let him go. It wasn't easy to let Dexter Manley go, I'm sure. But when Dexter Manley was no longer the pass rusher that they wanted or needed, they let him go. And um, they found they kept finding players to replace those guys. So yeah, and that's which is something that. But I also wonder too when you when did it really start to turn in a? I guess in because Dan Snyder bought it 20 years ago, right? Right. So. When do you think it just turned where it's like it was just gotten this hole where they haven't been able to get out of it? Is it just the decision making about who's in charge? Do you think it's something more than that? Well, I think I think that you have to have a plan. And there have been too many plans. You, you, a lot of plans. You remember the year that the, there was a plan. A restricted free agency. I know you're yes, going to say that. Yes, let's, <laughs> let's trade our draft choices to get these restricted free agents. If that had been a great idea, there would have been a lot of smart people coming through the NFL. Someone else would have done it. It wasn't a good idea, and it hurt. It, you know, you, that something like that costs you because you're not building any depth, and those the guys that they got didn't make that great a contribution. The Jetskins. <laughs> yes. So, it, the the difficulty and and. Coming and focusing on one plan. This is how we're going to do things here. Look right. the Steelers. Right. Steelers always do things the same way. Yep, absolutely. The Patriots, they always do things the same way. <laughs> and the Redskins always used to do things the same way. The Redskins, the Giants, the 49ers dominated right. the 80s and early 90s. For that and reason. The, and the Cowboys then dominated a lot in the 90s because they had. <clears throat> Leadership and a single sort of a single vision to get where they want. And that's to go. always been my thing is I don't know what the blueprint or the philosophical belief of the organization is, and I've never really known that here. I think it's like somebody once told me, "Well, well, we just want to win." That's not a that's an outcome. I, what's the process to get to? What do you believe in that leads you to that? You have to have a belief in something before the outcome is there. Well, I'll say this, and it probably won't be popular with diehard Redskins people, but I think they hit on a plan. And for 2018, when they they acquired uh, yes. Alex Smith, and 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 they set up the offense so that they were going to yeah. take care of the ball, they were not going to put the defense in a bad position, and they were going to let Alex Smith run things. And 
that was a good idea. And they were six and three when he got hurt. Six and three, and really, and good a good spot to get to the playoffs. Figure nine or ten wins that year. Yeah. yeah. Beyond that, who knows? But that I, that was the first time you felt like there was maybe something that was coming together right. and more than it had. I think Gruden came to training camp this year with the the idea that that philosophy that. That philosophy worked in 18. It would work in 19 with Case Keenum running the offense, and it's much just, different quarterback. Yeah, and, and it was not. Yeah. And like I said, like we said earlier, they didn't have, they haven't had, they haven't had the players this year. Right. And you cannot win in this league without players. I want to wrap up on this too. Do you have any final thoughts for a, a Redskins fans going forward? What do you think is the future of what's taking place now? Well, my first thought has always been. I really feel sorry for diehard Redskins fans, especially one that's born after the first Gibbs yeah. era, because they haven't seen much no, good football, haven't. and they've only seen a few playoff games. And they saw an electrifying Robert Griffin for one year, and yeah. then just a big chaotic mess after that. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with the Redskins. Uh, and I, uh, Dan Snyder, to me, has sort of receded into the background. Yes. For the most part, he's been, it seems to me, he's been a hands-off. But again, I'm, I'm watching really from afar now. Right. And I, they've got to settle on a quarterback. They've got to build an offensive line. And I don't know. It's just hard to win. And it's hard to be optimistic that they're going to be successful for the long term. Because obviously Bruce Allen is the big central figure in this too. Which you wonder what's going to happen with him. You do. All, there's all these questions. And if you're not going to have Bruce Allen, you've got to make sure you've got the right guy coming in to, to run the team. Yep. And that, the, that decisions that are made are the right decisions. Tough to see. You know, he's, Draft choice. You gotta make the right draft choices and figure yep. out who. It's it's it is a daunting task here, and we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens, folks. That's Paul Woody from the Richmond Times Dispatch. I'm not embarrassed to tell you guys that I love this guy. He's been a great friend for me and a great companion over the years, and somebody I've looked up to and admired for years and years and years. So I'm glad that we had a few minutes here with Paul. Johnny, right back at you. All right, man. Happy happy retirement. Thank you. After this break, I'll be back with a few thoughts, including one on Bill Callahan, and I'll answer some mailbag questions, including what will happen with Brandon Sheriff. Okay, for this final segment of this podcast, I had a few thoughts I want to share, four of them in fact, so let's get right to it. Um, number one, did you read the Niles Paul story in the Omaha Tribune? I would suggest going back, doing so. Google it, read it. It's a good, um, important read. It details what Paul's been going through in his first year out of football, and it's been difficult for him, to say the least. He's turned to therapy because he admits he's fighting some demons. Paul once viewed it as a weakness to discuss any shortcomings. He felt, to paraphrase it, that it wasn't manly. That's how you get in trouble and stay in trouble. Good for Paul for figuring out that talking to somebody helps, but it also highlights the difficulties that many have once they stop playing. It's not easy. 
Um, it's rare for players to end on their terms, especially because they come to define themselves through their play. And actually, I had a story on Kaishan Jarrett that's going to run on Friday. Um, and it's talking a little bit about this, his transition to coaching after his brutal injury at the end of the 2015 season. Anyways, on the field, nobody was a bigger badass than Paul. Once in a while, we'd just ask guys casually about who the toughest guys were in the locker room. Who was the guy you'd want in a dark alley with you? Paul was always first or second on that list. I'd take him over almost anyone. So I wasn't surprised to read about his mindset that opening up was for the week. I loved covering him because of how he played. As a rookie receiver, he blocked like a son of a bitch. I remember one time re-watching a game and seeing him drive a defensive back 15 yards on a run play. I called my son into my office, he was playing receiver at the time in his youth league, and made him watch it. That, to me, was all about determination and desire. Actually, I think my son was playing some fullback and tight end and whatever, but I wanted him to watch what Paul did. Paul always did what he could to stay on a roster. He blocked. He played special teams. He became a tight end. But what he always did was try to win and help the team. By opening up to the Omaha Tribune, Paul will help others win too. It will lead to good for him and others. In the end, once again, he was selfless. Number two on Bill Callahan. Did you hear what he said the other day about wanting the job permanently? Well, it shouldn't, you shouldn't be surprised by the fact that he absolutely would want this job permanently. What was interesting in his press conference earlier in the week was the shot he took at Jay Gruden without naming him, of course. This is going to be a long quote, so bear with me. Callahan said he, quote, tried to bring back a work ethic into the program that I thought was lacking. I thought our players could have been better fundamentally, still not there yet. I saw our players get better and compete for four quarters. I saw our players have stamina through four quarters of play. I thought long and hard about improving the team and what aspects I would really focus on. And a lot of that was second half finish, and I thought we did that. I thought we competed better in the second half of our play. End of quote. He went on from there, but I cut it off there. He talked about how champions play and finish and compete. There's no doubt he's more disciplined and detailed coach than Gruden. Those two did not get along, and I think you can understand why. They have different approaches. Callahan was firmly in command. Gruden, I think, needed strong vets to keep things under control. That's not necessarily, if you know who you are as a coach and what you need, then things can work. I think that's why they won in 2015. They had some, got some good quarterback play from Cousins, but they also had some really strong vets in the locker room, middle of the of the roster type guys, Will Compton, Will Blackman, guys like that. That and those guys make a difference in that culture. Um, it's awfully hard for an interim coach to change any culture, and Callahan knows this. It is funny because you have gotten the sense from the time he's gotten in charge how he views it. Um, or how he viewed how Gruden did things because they've kind of went out and did the opposite. And if you ever want to know what Callahan believes or thinks, you just figure, well, what did Jay think? And then you just believe, then you just know that Callahan believed the opposite. And that's just how it was. And there are definitely some things here that needed to be changed. Um, there are some things that a, a interim coach just can't change. And some of that was Gruden's doing, but some of that is simply the culture at Redskins Park where some players feel more empowered than others and will take advantage. That's always been there and it's in a you know that's that's the way it is. And time, the time to really make change is in the off season. That's where foundations are laid. It's real hard to see Callahan becoming the permanent coach. He is tight with both Allen and Dan Snyder, but with nothing else, Callahan should have provided a blueprint for what this franchise needs to follow. Number three, more on Bruce Allen. Still uncertainty. It's funny because there's still a lot of smoke regarding his future when talking to people around the league. 
It's hard for me to imagine something not changing, but the key is when and to what degree. That I don't know. Again, as I've said often, there's only one person who knows for sure, and that's Dan Snyder. They do have a good relationship, so I don't think Snyder will take this decision lightly at all. Um, at least my, my perception and belief has been of their relationship. I don't know where it exactly is at this moment or the last month. It could be that Snyder's looking for a way to make it work with Allen still involved here. But even if he's still here, the power structure will keep some away. I do think Snyder's exploring all options right now. There's a sense by some that Allen might hire another person on the football side to oversee things. That is, if he stays. But again, that keeps him in the building, and as long as he's around, some coaching candidates won't want to come here, um, based on things that I've heard from people and the agents and whatever. So if something happens, I don't know that it'll take a long time to put a group together. So the fact that they haven't interviewed anybody, or the belief is they haven't interviewed anybody, I don't know that it's going to be. I don't know that it's going to be this long, drawn-out process. Um, I don't know. One name I've heard a couple times for coaching is Marvin Lewis. To my knowledge, the Redskins have not interviewed him yet. I don't know if he'll get the job, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's interest on both sides. I do believe Lewis will have options. Um, I believe, I've mentioned this before, whether here on ESPN.com, um, but he, you know, he's worked in a tough situation in Cincinnati. He was basically the de facto GM, and he was successful during the regular season. We all know about the postseason stuff. Um, he, but one of the keys here is he knows this place. Snyder knows him. He has experience being a head coach, and I think that I think that's going to matter. So we'll see. Finally, number four on Dwayne Haskins. Now that his season is over, I think we can say he had a successful finish. He made steady progress, and his improvement was noticeable. I've detailed a lot of that improvement here in the past, so I don't need to rehash all of that. You guys saw it. You know what I'm talking about. But it was necessary to see. There were many questions, as you know. I still don't think he should have played earlier. He just wasn't ready, and the vets and the coaches knew it. I heard that consistently, consistently, consistently. And that's okay. Whoever you want to blame for that, that's where it was. This was a team that needed to win now, and he wasn't in position to help them win now. It would have led to some early disasters and putting a burden on him that he wasn't ready for. I always felt it was a tough mix putting him in with a coach who wanted someone else at 15 and who needed to win now. That doesn't lend itself to a nurturing situation for a rookie QB. But I felt once Haskins dedicated himself more to doing extra things and then other coaches did even more with him, like Kevin O'Connell, then it helped tremendously. The next coach matters for Haskins, absolutely. But what will matter just as much is what he does in this offseason. It's never just about coaching, not at that position. Clearly, clearly important, but it's just about more. The Redskins want to see him dedicate himself to getting better in all facets, and he'll need to grind hard with the film. That doesn't mean every day for 10 hours, but it does mean spending a few hours a day or at least several days a week going over this stuff. If you truly want to be like Breeze and Brady, then that's what you'll do. I'm not saying he won't or he can't do it, but it's what he needs to do. But he also, he also might have a new offense to learn. He's a smart kid, and once he gets the pre-snap stuff down even better, then the rest will start to fall into place. There's still a lot that he hasn't seen yet, but it seems like he's able to adjust to those things he has seen, and that's a good sign. If nothing else, he provided reason to believe that perhaps it'll work. It'll make next summer interesting to see how he builds off his last few games of 2019. However, he probably showed more improvement than some anticipated, especially after all the early whispers and then his early showings. 
With young quarterbacks, you can't proclaim things one way or another after their first year. Heck, it's even hard to do that after their second year. What we know is that Haskins took a solid step in his process over the past month. He's provided a different narrative as we enter the offseason. That's it for now. Thank you very much to Paul Woody for joining me. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with a guy that I look have looked up to for a long time. As always, thank you for listening and happy holidays.